Hello folks and welcome to the True Crime Enthusiast podcast. I'm Paul, the creator, host and true crime enthusiast of the show's title. And I'm not coming to you today with an episode, but I'm coming to you with this long-promised review of the fifth series of the show. Now, it's ra- it's been the longest series that we've done. It's been the one that, although I've, I feel like I work hard on every episode that I put out, and I do put the same amount of effort into everything that goes out, series, Patreon episodes, whatever, I feel this series is the one that I've worked hardest on. It's ran from February to December. It's been, what, some 34 episodes in total that I'm counting, and I've decided to go back to February and run through each one, give you a bit of background about why I chose it, anecdotes about the cases. Um, so let's just go for it right now. This is totally unscripted. You might hear a few mistakes, might repeat myself. You might even hear the bloody cat's bell ringing, but that's nothing new. I leave that in episodes anyway. And he is here, sitting at my feet, mooching about. So if you'll join me and Peaks, uh, we'll go back to February to the body on Corstuffin Hill which is the opening two-parter of the fifth series of the True Crime Enthusiast podcast. Now, I come across this case while I was researching another one, and I found it was just horrific. Who can do that to their own mother, to slaughter her in such a way, and to just discard the body in pieces in a park near to where you live? It's just the stuff of nightmares, isn't it? When I looked further into Dunleavy, the, 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 the crimes that he committed, the way he treated his ex-partner and stuff that he'd done beforehand, it was just somebody who never, ever deserves to walk the streets again. Totally is where he needs to be. And what I do recall, first and foremost, and I just can't help this, is the amount of flack that I got for saying Corstafine Hill, when it's Corstafin. Must stress, Corstafin. I actually got a scathing review from someone saying that it had completely ruined the show. It was a disgrace because I was pronouncing it like that. So all I can say is if I do ever pronounce anything wrong, I'm not from the places, uh, I don't know. It's a simple mispronunciation and some people are just too highly strung in my thought. But please point it out to me, you know, in constructive criticism and that's the one thing I do remember about that episode. Yeah, as I say, when, once I've researched them and I move on to the next one, I tend to sort of put them to the back of my mind. And though I do remember the, the odd bits and bobs and the gist of every case, I, I don't remember it in the full detail that I've put out in the episode. I'm not Rain Man or a bloody iPod or anything, am I? So once we've put the body in Corstafin Hill, Corstafin Hill to bed, and we moved on to a return to Carstairs. Now, when I was researching the Carstairs trilogy from a couple of series ago, the, the Scottish Chain of Ten, and when we did Robert Moan and the woman who chucked the kids out the window and all sorts of horror like that, The Beast of Aberdeen as well, I thought to myself, I got, I got the book that I got for researching at the time, there were so, there were so many tales that I thought, oh, that needs highlighting. That's, a, that's got the show written all over it, that has. And I picked out the case of Philip Givens and the case of Brian Fernie. And their actions are just horrific. To capture boys and to leave them in abandoned buildings in, in such terror is horrendous, isn't it? And to actually be so disturbed to, to murder your girlfriend, to decapitate her with a washing line pole, that should be more familiar than it is, shouldn't it? You should remember things like that. And I didn't think they were. They're, they're very unheard of. 
there's very, very little to research about each of them. So there were tales that I wanted to bring to the conscious of the listener, and I hope that I did. So following that, I have to look now because it's been a it's been a while. Oh yes, we moved on to the puppet, and what I thought was an unbelievable tale of how someone can be under the control so much of someone else to murder a friend of theirs to, to to what to keep a partner to please him to because he says so. I I found it unbelievable, and it it was memorable to me because again. It's one that I come across when I was researching something else. And I, I remember, and it might sound a bit like of me, but I do remember vividly the picture that's available of Maria Haneshuk because she stood in some, it looks like an abbey or some sort of outdoor location. And she stood in bondage gear with a whip. And you tend to remember things like that, don't you? So by this time, we're four episodes down in the series. Well, sort of, I suppose it's three. It's one as a two parts of the first one that split in because it was such a complex case to write and research. So we're a couple of episodes in, just starting to get comfortable again because you do need to get a bit match fit, shall we say, when you have a bit of a break from the show. It was good to discover again. And we then we moved in with the offering from Julia Crane for this series. And fantastic as ever. I thought that I've always loved everything that Julia writes for the show is always brilliant. She's kind of in tune with myself. She suggests cases that I've thought, yes, definitely that's got the, the show written all over it. And she surprised me with, say, last series, The Feathers and the Golden Flute, one of my absolutely favourite tales I've ever done on the show. And I'd never I'd never come across it before. And Julia suggested that. So following that one, she actually got in touch and said, I've been thinking about the case of Horrick Campbell and I was just like, so have I. That's, it's been on the board. It was one. So I snapped a hand off and said, yeah, please research and write it for the show. What a fantastic piece of research and writing that Julia had done. It was just, it, it was immense. And what a horrific, unbelievable tale. Again, an unfamiliar one. I mean, you re- you remember it when it's suggested. You think, oh my God, yeah, I do remember that. But it's not to the forefront of your mind like an attack on a playground should be. Such an awful thing to do like that. You should never forget it, should you? And I think he was. I think his name is one that's it's not as familiar as it should be. So hopefully Julius highlighted it. I think that's one of the highlights of this series for me. That is, it's, I'm, I'm very proud to have brought it. And I thank Julia for her research. We'll come back to Julia a bit later on. And then coronavirus kicked off and just absolutely fucked this year like you couldn't believe. It's been awful. It's been a proper one to forget. The worst in living memory, isn't it? It, Purely for that. There are a few other reasons as well, but it's that first and foremost is COVID. It's just destroyed everything. And of course, it has a knock-on effect. Well, it did had a knock-on effect on the show because I'm a key worker, so I've been in constantly. But my working patterns changed. People need to self-isolate. We had to do this. We had to do that. It was a bit busier. It was, what can I say? And if I haven't got the full time to devote to, to what I'm happy in doing the show, I can't just put a bit of a filler episode out. You know, it's, it's not how I am. If I, if I can't research and write to the, to the extent where I think I'm happy with that, and I've done my best that I can do with it, I'm quite happy to put it off. You know, it's I set a really high bar here on the show as I hope that you gather. 
So coronavirus kicked off and I thought to myself, well, I don't want you guys to have nothing. Um, So I did jump into the Patreon episodes, which, you know, arguably it's my prerogative to do, really. And we come up with the war that comes home tale, which is the awful story of David Bradley and his PTSD that led to him massacring members of his family up in Newcastle. Now, as an ex-service person, anything to do with PTSD, I've I've seen people have it. People very close to me have lost people because of it. And so it's, it's something that needs highlighting, I think. It is something that's close to my heart. And the actions of David Bradley, as horrific and abhorrent as they are, it was somebody that was somebody who fell through the cracks, I thought. It was it should have been more help there, more supervision, and could have prevented something like that. So a very, very sad case indeed there, I thought. And we we added a couple of Corona bonus episodes following that one. Now, I'm not going to go into the Corona bonus episodes because they are Patreon episodes. And what I'd like to do is review the Patreon episodes that I've done to date at a different time. So, and I did share five of them just to help through the pandemic a bit. We were all stuck in. We were all kicking our heels. We couldn't really do anything. And I thought to myself, that's just a little bit of something that's a little bit of a pastime. That's a couple of hours pastime that I can do to help people, I don't know, stop bloody crawling the walls or something like that. So I was quite happy to share a few of the episodes and I'll talk about them at a different time. So moving on again, because it's still got a bit of a knock on, still chocker busy trying to do this, do that, not go out, not stay in. And I decided to use yet another Patreon episode and that's the leftover list and the horrific tale of Roger Severs and the slaughter of his parents. I agreed because he'd seen his arse because they wouldn't support him and funnel money into his pockets and he just kicked off and beat his mother and father to death with a steak tenderizer I seem to think it was or a wooden mallet or some 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 kitchen utensil to do that, that and then buried them like they were a piece of old carpet in a wood quite near to his house and deservedly got caught pretty much straight after the murders by leaving a list a clean up list on the kitchen unit for police to find when they hadn't been seen for a few days. And all I can say there is, well, you're deservedly doing life because, not just because you're evil, because you're stupid as well. No sympathy whatsoever. Put him to the back of your mind. Absolute waste of skin. Wasteful. Moving on from there, we covered the Portsmouth Casanova murder. Now, this was one of my favourite tales to have done for Patreon because it was just absolutely eye-opening and fascinating that that was going on down in Portsmouth back in the 70s it was the place to be obviously wasn't it? if you're a red-blooded bloke or a bored housewife where else do you want to be get down to Portsmouth and this fella he was putting it about like bloody well you wouldn't believe it like Ken Barlow would tip his hat wouldn't he to him and eventually someone decided that they loved him and because he wouldn't just be with them they killed him, which is just, well, people are strange, what can I say, but a very, very memorable tale, that one. And then I come to what was going to be the series multi-parter, well, what was the series multi-parter, and when I did, in the previous series, when I did the South Wales Slayer arc, I thought, it's good to do a deep case study like this. I think, and I, I chucked a few ideas about for the one I would do for the next series, the, the fifth one. Some of them are still on the board, so don't be surprised if next series there will be another multi-episode arc. Love using the word arc as well. As a bit of an aside, that's something else that I get uh, slated for quite often, is overuse of the word arc. 
but I don't know what else to describe it as. It's an overreaching series of episodes in a series, an arc. And I eventually settled on the case of Robert Knapper. Now, it wasn't going to be an eight-part one. I didn't think it would in, in any way, shape or form be as long as it was. I had it down for, I thought, maybe a four-part one. And then, then when I'd done the green chain rapes uh, segments of the Napa case, then I thought to myself, well, that's been a full episode on its own. Then I've got Samantha and Jasmine's tale to come, and you've got to do that justice because they're often overlooked. Arguably, everybody will know about Rachel Nacal, but not everybody will know about Samantha and Jasmine, and they're victims of the same person. And I didn't think that was right. So I wanted to highlight Samantha and Jasmine's case as much as possible. And I'm not skimming over anything like that. That's an episode by itself. Then, of course, obviously, you come on to the Rachel Nickel case. And that's there's so much to that with Colin Stagg. And it's so high profile. I, I find it impossible. Well, the person, the way I work and the way I record and research and everything, I would find it impossible to do that in one episode it's just no it, it wasn't working like that so I was quite happy with I was quite happy that I told Rachel's tale in that episode and then we moved on to Colin Stagg and the Colin Stagg aspect of it there, there's so much to it because of you know he's highlighted as a suspect and comes across as a bit weird because of his bloody pentagram in his bedroom and his altar and all this weird stuff around the house and so they highlight him as a bit of a suspect and then there's the whole undercover Lizzie James letters and honey trapping him into something like that that's again they, they, they make episodes for themselves don't they so I decided to do it like that it was I was I, I was completely by this time you know I'm sick to the back teeth of Napa and haven't even mentioned him on the show yet it's been a good month six weeks of working on it and the name Napa hasn't even been mentioned yet so there was that much to telling Colin Stagg's story and what could use then decided to then we'd meet Napa in I think it was the sixth episode I think it was and go through his life and how he was caught and identified and matching his fingerprints at Samantha's flat and all all of that leading, leading to Napa's arrest the evidence that they found in his in his bedroom and the train marks all all stuff like that but then I decided I'd like to tie it up to have a bit of a catch up and see what's going on. So we heard from people like Andre and Alex, Rachel's her partner and her son. And we heard from Conrad, Samantha's boyfriend, and just people who were involved in the in the cases, you know, who were properly touched by. I wanted to forget about Napper by that time, you know, put him away. He's never coming out. He's, he'll never be free. He's in Broadmoor where he completely deserves to be. But it's important to tell the stories of the people who, who are still devastated by it and to catch up with them, to hear their tales from it. So so I decided to do it that way. And then I thought to myself, this guy has obviously done others. There's too much of a gap. When you look at you look at him killing Rachel and then you look at him killing Samantha and the time between them and the distance is not that much. And then you think to yourself, well, he's got to have done other crimes, hasn't he? From the, the start of the Green Chain Rapes back in, I think it was 89 to 1994 to 1993, sorry, where he's killed Samantha and that's his last known crime. What's he done in between? hence the story of Gene Bradley. Now, there was there was another case that I did debate that I thought to myself, is it Napa? I don't know. It's a very high-profile one, and I ultimately decided not to. I'd focus upon Gene because the other case in mind is 
as I say, it's high profile. I know it's been covered by a couple of the other UK shows, and for if it's if there's too many of them out there like that, it gets lost in translation a bit. So check the other shows, check what those guys have done with it. Maybe it will feature on the show some point in the future. I don't know. So we highlighted Gene Bradley's case, and I do strongly believe that Robert Napper is responsible there, but he's not talking, and you'll probably never know. So following on from Napper, which was a good two months worth of the show, it really was, wasn't it? We had another listener-written episode from Jackie Broderick, and it was the the horrific tale of Jill Soward and the attack at Ealing Vicarage. Now, I don't want to go into the full ins and outs. Jill's life being turned upside down and spurred her on to be a campaigner. This is a remark. She sadly passed away now, Jill, but this is a remarkable lady, absolutely incredible person who waved her anonymity and fought, campaigned for the rights of victims. I, I thought she was just an absolute inspiration. The crime is horrendous. It's horrific. I described it in as much detail as I possibly could, and I I take no pleasure in vivid graphic descriptions of crimes such as that. I find sex crimes abhorrent. They they sicken me to my stomach, but I also find it important. I want you to be disgusted and horrified because I want you to feel the same kind of anger that I do. And as, as I've said since I started doing the show, we go all or nothing here. Jackie understands that. She was fantastic in her research and much credit to her for writing what what is a difficult episode to write. I I was proud to have brought an episode like that. And once again, as I said, kudos to Jackie for that. It's absolutely brilliant. And I look forward to another offering from her. So after having a bit of time off for a listener episode, which I always do, I always have to just go through them a little bit and just fit them to my own narrative style. So it's effectively like a week off for me. I was back in the writing chair and I brought you the tale of Anthony Burstow in an episode called Stalker. Now Burstow, he was at one time considered Britain's worst stalker. And if you listen to the episode, the absolute hell that he put Tracy Sant through is just, and, and, and he probably still does to this day, I'm sure, that if he could do, he would, he would still send letters or phone calls. He was just hell-bent on destroying someone's life. Over what? Over a misconception. It, it's just an awful story. Something that's, it must be dug into her. It ruined her marriage. It's probably cost her to move houses, jobs. How can some, someone be so hell-bent to do that? It's just beyond belief. It beggars belief, doesn't it, eh? So I followed that up with this series' Monsters Of episode and I chose Berkshire for the tale of David Burgess and the horrific trio of murders that he committed back in the 1960s. Now this guy, if he hadn't been stopped when he was, he would have gone on to kill more and more. And when he was he was at large from prison in the, I think it was the 19, 1990s, he was at large from prison for about 18 months. Has he committed crimes again? Because this guy, is, Leopard, isn't changing the spots there. He shows absolutely no remorse, nothing. He wasn't even bothered when he was sentenced to a third life term so many years after murdering Yolandi Waddington. He even just yawned and checked his watch, totally uninterested in proceedings. And that's the kind of person you're talking about there. So, did he do others? Maybe it's one to look into and we might visit David Burgess again. But, again, that was a tale. There was so much to it, I didn't want to cram anything into one episode. 
I thought I'll split it over two and tell the tales of the three girls in episodes each. So you, you, you devote a bit more time to them, you know. You're not skimming over anything about their life. Their stories deserve to be told. They really do. And then I was back to another listener-written episode. And again, this is it's up there with The Feathers and the Golden Flute for me as, as one of my favourite listener-written episodes. And it was the kit about the, the kidnapper Princess Anne in an episode that I've entitled The Princess and the Magnificent Seven. Now, I'm not going to skim over what the stories are about, but it, it does concern the, the attempted kidnapping of Princess Anne back in the 1970s. And what an absolutely fantastic story to have told it's got. Excuse the gravity of it, because it is, you know, that six or seven people were shot and seriously wounded during the attempt. So I'm not making light of a situation like that, but all I will say from it is Princess Anne is a badass. And Ronnie, the boxer, what an absolute legend. I love the tale. I thought it was fantastically researched. Absolutely brilliant tale to have bought. And it comes, it was just because no nobody was killed in it. People are injured, but nobody was killed. So you can have a bit of you can have a bit of light. It breaks up the series a little bit, you know. You can have a bit of fun and you can say like, oh Ronnie legend and nineteen stone boxer put all his weight into knocking someone on his arse and just have a have a thing like that. Julia actually messaged me and we were discussing the case, I, I, I do remember, and she put in it, Ronnie is my favourite in the story. And he, do you know what? He was completely mine too. What an absolute legend. Imagine getting the story when he sold his medal for, recently he did, yes, he, he sold his medal, that's his, like his nest egg, but he wanted to tell the story to someone over a pint and I thought that's got to be the best story that you'd ever hear, wouldn't it? What an absolute privilege to hear a tale like that from the person himself. Absolutely brilliant. Great choice for the series. Then again, we moved on from the listener written episode once I'd had me week off once again to an episode concerning the actions of Harry Street back in the 1970s when he just absolutely flipped and massacred his neighbours and some innocent people who ran a petrol station some miles away. For, for whatever reason, no one can even begin to fathom. Just absolutely flipped. And to spend so much time in a secure hospital, but then to come out and then for the old feelings to start building up again to the point where he'd amassed an arsenal at home and he'd built a bomb carnage was avoided there i think again it's a tale that the actions are so awful they should be more familiar than they are and that's what i like to do i like to highlight things like this so we moved on with a case that i demarked for a couple of series before actually the torso in the tank and the conviction of ernie clark I think it was nine years after the girl had gone missing, which I'd come across a few years ago and thought, yeah, that's got the show written all over it. What an absolutely fascinating, macabre story. And then others, as, as they do, others take priority, others find their way into the show running. But then Ernie's tale has to be told and it come this series. I wasn't sure about it myself. I don't know about the conviction. I wouldn't be too happy with it. And I'm not afraid to say these things like that. Highlighted all the work that was done by Rough Justice and the case of the confused chemicals and everything. If you can get hold of the book, I do actually, I really do recommend it. It's, it makes for fascinating reading and a very memorable tale, I thought. Again, that's why we choose them. So following on from the torso in the tank is when we come into the quadrilogy that we've done on the show. Now, it wasn't originally intended to be a quadrilogy. 
I thought it might be a double episode whatsoever. I'd, I'd see what I could say about it, highlighting Lynn's murder and the obvious suspect. The, the killer is obvious from the start, isn't it? it? Of course it is, you know. But then Flo had done so much work. Flo and her family had done so much work to highlight it. They'd, they'd fought so tirelessly. I thought, I'm not skimping over their story in any way, shape or form. And it was it, there was that much to it. You know, there was, well, you had the murder itself, then the arrest of Roy then his acquittal then Flo not like a dog of a bone not letting go of Brooks and wanting to highlight him hounding him every turn saying that we're not going to forget you you are guilty of this fight taking it to the papers taking it to parliament the absolute pure fight that they had to to drag him to sue him in civil court for then to be denied to take it further for then that to be overturned it's a right roller coaster of a story it's too much to do in two episodes. It worked out as four, and I was purely happy with the structure that, that I'd put it as. It was a remarkable tale to have covered, and I'm very proud to have done it, and I hope that I did justice to the Siddons family there. Rotten Hellbrooks. So we moved on from that to another quite remarkable tale. See, these things, they do just jump out sometimes, and I, I'll see something. The way I work is I've got a massive library, as I've probably said a few times on the show, and I have boxes and boxes full of these true crime magazines, you know, Master Detective, True Detective, all, all of this. Real life crimes, everything like that. I know another show, actually, that uses real life crimes. I can tell by the, the choice of cases that they do. Very, very good show, I must admit. So I have a rook of these magazines, and what I do is I'll read through them. I'll leaf through, I think, that's a fantastic one for the show, and I stick a post-it note on the front of them. Then it goes to my messy filing system, and I have to search back through months and years of these magazines to find something specific. And the case of Paul Agatha jumped out, who poisoned tonic water and put it back onto the shelves of a Safeway to kill his wife regardless of anybody else who was buying it to to do that that's just it's psychopathic it's just pure who who does that i just it's hard to fathom a mindset like that isn't it to be so totally disregarding of other people for what reason financial because you're a bit skint you want to set up home with your latest girlfriend get a divorce you know you're a bloody university professor you're not on you're not going to be living from the bins behind Poundland, are you I couldn't fathom the mindset behind it, and I thought it was an absolutely fascinating tale to have told. So, again, these they jump out. They almost choose themselves. Now, following this, by this time, the work and the personal life was catching up with me a little bit, and I didn't have time to devote to researching a full case, so I used one of the, another one of the Patreon episodes, and that was the awful tale of Jeffrey Jones and his weird Enough Rope film where he hung an innocent 16-year-old girl because it was his greatest sexual fantasy. Now that doesn't, I don't really need to say more than that, do I? That's just horrendous. And again, it's, it's, it's a tale that I believe it, it should be much more familiar than it is. And it's, it, it's just not, that's like the kind of thing that you'd seen in a, in a real film, isn't it? It's why that's not to the public conscious, but other things are, I, I don't know. So I decided that I wanted to highlight that. I'm I'm unsure as well whether Jeffrey Jones would have possibly done something like that again. I believe it's obviously in him to have done it. Very, very disturbed person. Absolute deviant to have done that. And you have to think to yourself, did he kill beforehand? You just don't know. He's not saying anything. 
it was another prime example of something that you come across and it's the only way I can describe it really these things they really do choose themselves for the show I it, it stuck in my mind that much when I read it I thought I've got to tell this tale so I brought you enough rope We followed this one with another listener written episode and this was the first one from listener Katie Walsh which again I loved. We were discussing what to do and Katie originally researched two things. One of them, the research that she's done is so good that it will feature in an episode in the next series of the show because it ties in lovely with something that I had in mind for the the focus of an episode. So that'll be coming next series but the research that she did about Albert Pierpoint brilliant i thought that's a different spin nobody ever you could focus upon the people who commit these horrendous crimes and end the days at the gallows but i thought why not look at the hangman what about their story and she she done a fantastic job researching the pierpoint family name if you like because it's a proper family tradition weird weird thing like imagine following your dad into hanging people bizarre But yet again, I was very proud to do it and I found it that fascinating a story that it led off from that and I looked at Pierpoint's final hanging which became the focus of the previous Patreon episode of the show, Pierpoint's Last Drop. Again, if you're a Patreon supporter, I hope you've heard it and see what you think. It's an absolutely fascinating tale in its own, I thought. Again, a really unfamiliar one that should be a bit more high profile, I thought. But Albert Pierpoint, it's good. I, I love, throughout this series that we've done, I love doing something a bit different like that, like the Feathers and the Golden Flute from last series. And I always love to change it up a bit. It's a bit of a different spin on things, you know. I think it's always important to do that and I always look forward to doing that on the show. So appreciate that very much, Katie, and I look forward to another offering from you. So I followed this one up with another. I was back in the chair for writing again. I had these weeks off, you know, a few times this series and come up with the absolutely horrendous tale of Leslie Salter and his actions in South Wales against two elderly ladies. Absolute pure evil is all I can say. It's I've made it documented long, many times on the show that crimes against the elderly particularly anger me. I find them disgusting and I hope that every single day of Salter's sentence he suffers in fear from retribution from the other criminals. So disgusted at his actions must they be because they're just awful. It's what he did to Enid and Maya, the, the savagery of it. If you haven't heard the episode as yet, but have a listen to the episode Handiwork and you'll see exactly what I mean. I've pulled no punches. I've described everything as full as I can. See what you think. There isn't a place on this earth for someone as evil as Salter. And that was a tale that I came across. Well, I did know of it beforehand, but it wasn't a tale that was originally earmarked for the show. I didn't think of it, I must admit. And then when I was looking up the one that was earmarked for the show a long time ago, which will come on to shortly, I came across Leslie Salter's tale and thought, yeah, that's an important one to tell too. So you got it as the episode handiwork. And then I came on to what's been the final trilogy of cases this series, and that's the Margaret trilogy that I'll call it. Margaret, Murder and the Missing Motive parts one to three now again this is a tale that was so complex it was impossible to do in one episode it would have been horrendously long the way i like to research and describe stuff it would have been too long to do in one episode and two parts to the episode again 
the the second part would have been the same because I I just think it's worked it's worked out perfectly how it is as a trilogy. We described the case and the highlighting of a suspect in the first part. We've described how police came to Derek Christian, the factors that led to him being charged, tried, and imprisoned for Margaret's murder. And if you haven't listened to them yet, then. Well, this might be a bit of a spoiler, but have a listen to the first two parts. And then in the third part, I sat and talked about the case and I've highlighted what I think is, and and I said this in the episode, I'm not saying that police are wrong. I'm, I'm really not. It could be a case of just coincidences like that just worked out. And that really is Margaret's killer who's done 23 years so far. But the quality of the evidence, although it's circumstantial, there's a lot of it. I must admit, but when you break it down today, if that evidence was brought to a court, I'm not sure that it would be enough to convict. And I've tried to highlight that. I've invited people to give give their own thoughts and opinions. Please do. I, I say I'm not Sherlock Holmes or anything like that. I do love the hats. The hats are great, aren't they? But and I use and I've got a pipe as well. I must admit, but I'm not saying that I'm right. If I invite you to challenge me where I'm wrong, it wouldn't sit quite right with me. I can't say he's innocent, but then I'd need a bit more to to say he was properly guilty myself. It's just, there's a couple of areas throughout the evidence that, that I wouldn't be too happy about. And that's took us to December, and that's the perfect time to end the fifth series of the True Crime Enthusiast podcast. So I can have a couple of weeks break and I'll be back very early in 2021. I'd say it's been my favourite series to have worked on. This one has. It's just the cases have been, they've just fitted perfectly. I I think I look back on, I'm looking back now at the list of cases that we've done. We've done 34 episodes this series. I wouldn't change the order of them round or anything. I wouldn't make any shorter. I wouldn't make any longer. They've been each exactly, I'm perfectly happy with what I've put out. I'm very proud to have done it and it's been a fantastic series to work on. Do need a bit of a recharge right now, uh, but as I said, I will be back very early next year. So I just want to round off, I want to round off the series if like I wanted to do this. It's been me waffling a load of shite really about this series, why I've chosen this and how they sometimes choose themselves and all that. But I want to end it off properly with a massive thank you. The show doesn't exist without you guys listening in. It's just nothing. It would be me talking to myself in my spare room with a cat at my feet, ringing his little bell and wanting to get involved. Your support and your listening, your feedback, suggestions for cases means the absolute world. It can be sometimes these writing an episode like this, depending on the circumstances, what you've got going on in your life at the time, it can be like a bit of a mountain and then you can get an email or contacted on social media by someone saying that they love your show so much. It's great to listen to. Thanks for all your hard work. And it's like bloody, it's like someone putting a rope down for you and it just helps you. It spurs you on that much more. It really does. I've had so much of that from this series, but from this year, from you guys, you just, you're the absolute best. You really are. I thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything that you've done to keep the show where it is, to keep it rolling on, for all of the support and feedback, and it means the absolute world. You guys, you can't rule any more than you do. I, I can't stress how much you mean the world to me. I look forward to what 2021 
will bring for the show. I look forward to seeing you guys, some of you guys down at CrimeCon. Look forward to hearing from you. Chuck your suggestions in for cases. And I want to end this review. And yeah, I was thinking about this. I want to end this review because the series is dedicated to somebody. And it's dedicated to my dad, JD, who I sadly lost a few days before Christmas. So thanks very much, dad, for all your support. And the series is dedicated to you. And that's it for 2020 and the True Crime Enthusiast podcast this year. I will be back very early in the new year. I look forward to you guys joining me then. All I can say is that I wish each and every one of you all the very best for 2021. It's got to be a better year than this monumental bastard of a one. We can get rid of this shit straight away. Two right. Let's have a better year. Kick it right up the arse and get rid of it. Stay safe, look after your loved ones, and I'll catch you very, very soon. All that's left for me to say is that I've been, I still am, and hopefully still will be Paul, the true crime enthusiast, wishing you good and safe times, and I shall speak to you very soon. And because it's the final episode-ish review of the year, as we always do, I'll cap it off by saying don't have nightmares and do sleep well. Take care, guys, and I shall speak to you very soon. Goodbye for now.